You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Pastor Chris and I are going to share, um, we're going to share this uh, pulpit today as we talk about the... the um, uh, our core again. Last last week, I introduced you to what makes us us. The idea of what does it mean to be spiritually influential, and kind of why is that? Why is that what we chase as being um, a part of Gateway Church? Um, I introduced you to the, my ministry core out of John chapter ten, known as the Good Shepherd passage. And the end of verse or verse ten says that the thief comes only to kill still and destroy, but I came so that you might have life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of, is how Eugene Peterson phrases it out of the message. And the correlation that I build between the life that we, that we really long, long desire is a life actually given away. Um, it, it's a, it's a, this life, as we chase this life of what it means to be a spiritually influential Christ follower, this actually becomes the life we're trying to chase down for ourselves. These are interconnected pieces. And that we, we say fresh starts, great friends, real purpose as a way to, to illustrate how we stay connected um, to God, how we stay connected to one another, how we have our eyes up and we connect ourselves to the world, that when we give ourselves away to that, it actually produces the thing um, that everyone else chases the brass ring for, but they're only looking at themselves. I define spiritual influence this way. Spiritual influence is the impact of moving someone one step closer to Christ as a result of your connection or interaction. It's not complicated. This is, this is how I define it. A step, uh, the impact of moving someone one step closer to Christ as a result of your connection or interaction. And so then at our core is becoming spiritually influential people through those connections. Connection to God, which we call fresh starts. Connection to one another, which we call great friends. And connection to the world around us, which we call real purpose. And the reason being is I can describe fresh starts, great friends, and real purpose to anybody. We were handing out food at the food, um, mobile food pantry. About 70 of you showed up at 7 o'clock in the morning as we distributed food to 250 families. And well, it was a special time, and someone was engaging me in conversation, and they had no trouble understanding whatsoever when I started saying, Fresh Starts, Great Friends, Real Purpose. It was an easy thing to communicate. And that these are the core elements of the life we're going after. So we're, today we're talking about community. We're skipping Fresh Starts. Um, because we had this scheduled with Pastor Chris and I, and last week I decided to only um, talk about spiritual influence. So we're going to talk about community today. Um, here's a July 2023 article from The Atlantic by an author named Jack Meter. The, the, um, uh, the article is, was entitled, The Misunderstood Reasons Millions of Americans Stopped Going to Church. And he says that 25, over the last 25 years, 40 million Americans have stopped attending church. And so here, here's his quote, uh, a quote from this, from this article. He says, that's bad news for America as a whole because religious community generally correlates with better health outcomes and longer life, higher financial generosity, and more stable families, all of which are needed in a nation with rising rates of loneliness, mental illness, alcohol, and drug dependency. 
There's going to be a lot of reasons of why people drop out of church, but what he ended up putting his finger on mostly is that people just get distracted. So there is maybe a job relocation. Um, maybe you just move within the same town. Um, maybe it's schedules. Um, more business trips than was anticipated in this quarter for you. I see it a lot with the birth of the first child. Did you lose your mind when you had your first child? Right? So many people, we, we lose our minds with the first child, right? We, we don't know what to do or how to do it and how to get things back. And, but, but, but the thing is, that distraction can lead to getting us into different ruts. And those, those ruts actually pulled us away from community. And community is the thing that we are we're made for. I believe community is in our very DNA. When God creates Adam, it wasn't long in this process where he said it wasn't good for him to be alone. And then, and then God hands the message of the Messiah, not just to an individual in Abraham, he hands it to a people. That there would be a people that he would raise up and this people would carry the message of a Messiah. And then with the beginning of the church, he just says, okay, you know what? And this message is now entrusted to a, a church to carry. It was given to a community. He's given to a community. And as a community, we carry this message. We're a people of promise. And we are together to proclaim this people of promise. There are big differences between Christian community and a general community. General community implies some kind of shared interest or some level of commonality, which is great. I mean, you, you, you want that. But the Christian community is, is empowered and formed around a shared savior. A shared savior, which means then we have a shared story. And that story is how we found out we needed a savior. Now, when I, you know, when, when I met Kaljan and Gulia, we come from different backgrounds, different parts of the world. And yet, when we met for the first time, there was this kindred spirit because we had a shared story. And then our, our, our decades of relationship has met learning where, that, where those stories have come from and where those stories have led. And it's, it's a bonding factor. This is what community of faith feels like. It feels like then we have this shared story and regardless how different the story starts, it all crescendos around a, a similar thing, the cross, and it takes a similar path after the cross. Now, Acts 2, 42 through 47 is the passage of scripture I anchor this power around great friends is the, the context really quick is we have, we, have, we have Jesus ascending into heaven at the beginning of Luke chapter 2. He tells his followers, I want you to hang in Jerusalem till you receive power. That power will come so that you will be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, then Peter stands up in the midst of the very, I would say it could have been the very same crowd that 50 days earlier would have shouted, crucify him, crucify him, because this was one of the, one of the um, festivals that the Jews were required to attend. But yet Peter hid 50 days ago. In this context, he stands to the group and says, let me tell you about what's going on here and let me tell you about the man you crucified 50 days ago. And when he finishes this sermon, the scripture says that they were cut to the heart 
And people said, how do we believe? And he said, repent. And in this message, then he repent, then they baptized like, and the project kind of manager side of me is trying to figure out how you baptize, you know, all those thousands of people, right? Like how did they organize to do that so fast? Like we handed out a lot of food yesterday, but we didn't baptize a bunch of people. You know what I'm saying? And then what we read at the end of chapter two is you, you see the beginnings of this Christian community. Now, at the end of this passage, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay? My contention is they saw what was going on in this community and they wanted a piece of that. Now, this, this is in a first century Middle Eastern culture that was already community-based. It was already family-based. So it wasn't like a bunch of people getting together was unusual. But there was something unusual about this group. So let's read the passage. The passage says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What was different about this community? Well, there was a couple things. One, they were learning and they were being transformed by the teaching of Christ. Now, they would have known the Torah, they would have known the Old Testament, but now they were being reformed because now they're reading it through the lens of a Messiah that they, that they witnessed and not just a story. The word was transforming them as they were learning. They, were, they wanted more. They just wanted more. They wanted to learn more. They wanted to know more about this Jesus. They wanted to know more about how what they learned about was him. They were being transformed by the message, the message of Christ. This is one of the things that makes community, church community, faith community different is because we are anchoring around being transformed and reformed around scripture. So then they were experiencing and celebrating Passover regularly. They would have only celebrated Passover once a year, looking back to the deliverance of their people, and now they saw the deliverer. And it's kind of like, why do we have to wait once a year? We can celebrate this freedom every time we get together. So they're celebrating Passover, which everyone else around them going, didn't we just do that festival? And they go, yeah, well, yeah, but it's so much bigger than that. Let's do it again. And then let's, let's do it again. And then let's do it again. It was transforming them. They were eating together in each other's homes, which fostered a sense of family. Um, I, 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 love, I love when we built this new building. I love the great room. Everybody loves the great room. Everybody wants to do a small group in the great room. But there are bunches of people that do small groups out of their house. And I will tell you that once you're in someone else's home or they are in yours, something just changes in the relationship. Like, it's either you don't want them ever to come over again, or, you know, like, how do you know someone's actually making themselves at home at your house, right? They, they know where the food is, right? I mean, they're going to go to the refrigerator. But there, there is something about having you in my home and someone being in your home that starts connecting you at a different level. I love the groups that end up meeting in their homes. 
When, when you start seeing one another as family, then you start responding to people's needs as family, not as strangers. Or you, 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 There's something that rises up inside of you that wants to come along someone else, right? So this is what's happening with them because um, family takes care of one another's needs. Their relationship was characterized by glad and sincere hearts. They were happy to be together. They were happy in this new life. It was sincere. I love the... It was, I love they say it's sincere. Like when we think of sincerity, you think about something coming from a deep place. It's not just surface. And the, and the writer is saying, dude, I'm, I'm watching this go down and they are happy and they are sincere. This is sincere, deep stuff. And that's attractive. Living that way attracts other people to that. I contend they were attracted to the community before they were ever attracted to Christ. They were attracted to the transformation that they saw in those people and they went, whatever that is, I need a little bit more of that in my life, right? Because the life was what they were after. It's like, wait, wait, I keep chasing it over here, but what I'm chasing looks like that. So if it looks like that, how do I get in there? And this is where we have, and the Lord added to their number daily, daily, the number was being saved. All right, so my position as pastor is to lay that out in front of you. But then, Pastor Chris, come on up. Pastor Chris, for in his eighth year of leading this element of our ministry, can, listen, quite, listen closely as he walks. It's saying, get in relationship. Get in relationship. I mean, like every time he walks by, just he squeaks in relationships. So what, what I've asked Pastor Chris well, in our dialogue was, okay, I can tell you, I can tell you this stuff scripturally, but I know he's been sold out to this process. And so he's going to tell you a little bit about why this is so hard and how to do it. Welcome, Pastor Chris. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. When my wife and I moved here about eight years ago, we had decided that we wanted to be more intentional about community. Um, and that had to do with what we were doing on, uh, uh, with, with church, but it also had to do with our neighborhood. We've lived in a lot of different places, and some of the places we didn't even know uh, our neighbors' names. Some of them, we had not met them. And we decided to do that a little bit different here in Tennessee. And I can say that we've been able to do that. We hang out with our neighbors, our kids uh, run through the houses. All of the kids know right where the pantries are and the snack food. Um, and we have really learned to do life with other families in a way that we have not before. It's been very fulfilling. So I remember one night that um, it was a warm night and there was a fire going outside and the kids were all running in the backyard at the uh, tree line and they were catching uh, lightning bugs. And it was a beautiful night. Um, one of the dads decided that he was going to get some mason jars and punch holes in the top for the lightning bugs, to catch lightning bugs. Now, I don't judge another man for how he does this, um, but I'll tell you that there was a bit of a problem with the technique because he was holding the jars like this, and then here's the lid, and then here's the screwdriver. And it worked for a while, it did. Um, but one of those punches got a little bit carried away, and it went through the lid, and through the jar, and through his hand. 
And that's when the night got interesting. <laughs> so what was funny was his wife was uh, trying her best to stop the bleeding. And um, what I did not uh, mention is that this guy also has a history of fainting when he sees his own blood. <laughs> so someone else was trying to keep him from fainting. There was another neighbor that was trying to clean up all of the blood on the floor and pick up the glass that was all over the floor, right? And there was another neighbor that was trying to redirect the children because the girls were screaming at the sight of blood. And there was another neighbor that was pulling their car up to take him to the hospital. And I sat back and I, think, I thought to myself, this is an accurate picture of community. And it is anything but boring. Charlie asked me to uh, speak to two questions today that I want to try to answer for you. And the first of those questions is, uh, what makes community hard? What stands in the way of community for us? And the second question that I want to try to answer is how we can do community anyway, in spite of that. How can we engage with community and make the most of it? So why is community hard? The first reason it's hard is because Satan is against you having it. He has set himself against Christian community in your life because he knows it is a key to your growth and effectiveness. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Peter wouldn't have said this if his readers didn't need to be reminded of this truth. And I'm pretty sure we need that same reminder today. We have an enemy that wants to destroy us. I don't know about you, but I've seen my fair share of nature documentaries. I'm not a zoologist, but one thing I've learned is that when the lions go on their hunts, they're not going after the whole herd. What they're doing is they are looking for a straggler. They're looking for someone who has gotten away from the group that's gotten away from the safety of the group. And if they don't identify prey like that, antelope, wildebeest, whatever it is, then they will run and try to get someone separated from the safety of the group. And if they can do that, what's interesting is that there's a lot better chance that they're going to overpower that individual and they're going to get to eat. Now think about that in context of the scripture again. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. It's to his advantage that our enemy separates us from our Christ-centered community, and that is what he will try to do. And let me point out that Satan is probably not going to try to convince you that community itself is bad. He knows you're smarter than that. More likely, he'll try to convince you that community simply isn't worth it, that you're too busy for it that you've got projects and jobs and clubs and laundry and school and travel teams and kids in diapers. All good things. But you're too busy right now. Be assured, if he can't destroy you, he will distract you. It is said that humility is just recognizing our need for God and community. And without a vital connection to both, our souls will atrophy. And that is right where Satan would like for you to be. The second reason community is hard is that relationships take time. One day, my son Jonas asked me, Dad, when you were a kid, did phones have to be attached to the house? <laughs> yes, I recall that they were attached to the house. And back in the 80s, we were just lucky to have indoor plumbing. 
Technology has changed so much over the years and so much about our world has become instant for us. We have access to instant money, instant news, instant notifications, instant weather, all giving us instant gratification. We can have food delivered to us wherever we are. When I'm ordering on Amazon Prime, I have the option to get it between three and six tonight. And my wife doesn't even need to wait a week to see the next episode of Sweet Magnolias. But one thing that technology has not been able to speed up for us is the time that relationships take to grow. It takes time to love people. It takes time to be in community. And without quick results and instant gratification, it's easy to choose to avoid the work that relationships require. We would love to microwave community if we could, but relationships don't happen in a hurry. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. The last reason that community is hard is because people are messy. Spend any time around people and you learn quickly that they don't have it all together. Proverbs 14.4 says, Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. I don't think any of you guys are going to write that verse down to memorize it, but there's a lot of wisdom here. The implication is that you can have a clean manger or you can have abundant crops, but you can't have both. If we want the producing power of the ox, there's going to be some cow pies to clean up. Community is much the same. Community produces things, things like growth, character, a place to be known, a place to belong. It gives you an environment where you can put what you say about love into practice. But it also comes with some messes because people are messy. I've been in groups with people who were really angry with God, with people who have struggled with identity, with people who are reeling from the loss of a loved one or the pain of a divorce, with people who are in a cycle of sin. Being in the midst of people's messy lives isn't easy, but these are the good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I remember a night that my wife was away on a business trip, and uh, I didn't have Tatum with us. He's my youngest. I had, uh, we didn't, we had the first three. And uh, Asher at the time was nine, Emerson was seven, and Jonas was five. And so we had a, a, a worship night prayer night here at the church. And so I had kind of gotten everything ready for us to go. Okay. So the kids, the three boys, they were all dressed. I was dressed. We had one thing left to do. We just had to eat something before we left. So being a good um, dad at the time with his wife out of town, I heated up chicken nuggets and a vegetable and ketchup. I didn't heat the ketchup up, but I put it on the plate. So we were all eating, okay? And my little five-year-old, being rambunctious the way he is, he flipped that plate over and he got ketchup all over himself and all over me. And I don't know how he got so much ketchup everywhere, but he did. And I will tell you that there was something that welled up within me in anger that was boiling and I wanted to react. And I'm telling you, I... Um, it. It, I, because I knew that we were just going to be late and I was going to have to redo a bunch of stuff. And what is interesting is that God stopped me. And I will never forget what he told me. He said, oh, Chris, 
It is your privilege that you were sitting so close to this boy that you got his mess on you. I chose you for this position. I didn't choose anyone else to be close with this boy and to raise this boy and to lead this boy. And so the next time you get one of your um, children's messes on you, I want you to remember that this is a privilege. People are messy. People are messy. And that's okay. If you want a clean manger, don't have an ox. If you don't want to have spills, don't have kids at your table. Don't have anyone at your table, actually. <laughs> if you don't want a perfectly clean church, don't have boys and girls playing in the halls. And if you don't want to get messy, don't love people. People are messy, so what? God didn't love us from a distance. He got messy for you and me. Being in community means being with people, and wherever we go, we're going to bring our clumsy and our imperfect selves with us. But the alternative is not real life, and it's certainly not the abundant life God wants to give us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, only love gets close enough to know. And sometimes that meaning means cleaning up some ketchup. So the second question that I want to try to answer for you today is how you can live in community, how you can engage with it, how you can connect with it in a way that you've never done before. Number one, I want you to show up. Your presence matters. There's no community without presence. I'm convinced that relationships are about 90% showing up and the other 10% you can work on as long as you do the first part. I'm currently meeting with a group of guys weekly, and we are in year four of a two-year discipleship program called CLC. When we got finished with the program at year two, no one told us to stop, so we just kept right on going, and we still meet. It's really easy to underestimate the power of showing up for years, to walk with the same people through seasons of their lives, to share joys and sorrows and hopes and fear, fears, to help each other through the struggle of parenting or empathize with them in their pain, to walk with people through unemployment or cancer or grief. But you can't show up in people's lives for a few years without first showing up in their lives for a few weeks. We've got to start somewhere. And if you are going to show up, that means you'll need to place a value on community that's greater than your convenience. No, you may not have the time for it. You'll be too busy. I'm always too busy, guys. Always. You might have to show up when you don't feel like it. Show up anyway. Or invite someone in, into your house when it's a mess. Invite them over anyway. And if you make showing up a priority, all of a sudden we have the opportunity to borrow and lend and grow our faith, like Charlie talks about. Hebrews says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Your presence matters. Number two, I want you to be a friend. Be a friend. We refer to community around here as great friends, and the key to developing great friendships is being a great friend. And being a friend is just loving well. One of my favorite definitions of love is pursuing another's good. 
Paul said it this way in Galatians, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I was finishing up work. I went to go get in my car and uh, turn uh, on the key, and the car did not start. The, the battery was dead. So I called up a buddy of mine who was in my men's group. His name is Steve Emley, and he is a, um, just, uh, just a godsend of a friend. And I called him up and said, hey, um, are you available to come get me and run me to the auto parts store so that I can get a battery? And he said, I'll do one better for you. I will go and get the battery, and I will stop by my house and get some tools, and I will meet you at the church, and we will put it in together. And so that's exactly what he did. And as he was putting in the battery, um, and I was kind of supervising as I do, um, <laughs> the, the, the rain just like poured down and... Um, after the rain stopped, we got the battery finished, but I wanted to take a picture of it um, because I never wanted to forget his generosity in that moment, and I believe we've got the picture right here. (laughs) Steve didn't pursue his own good that day. He pursued mine. Number three, give grace. I want you to see people as people. I was driving down a road not far from where I grew up, And there was this car going in front of me, and it was, I can't even describe how slow this car was going. Um, And I was so in a hurry. And I finally got to a place where I could pass around this car. And as I passed this car, I looked over. I don't know why. Why do we look at the person that that we're passing? But, but I did, and saw that it was my grandmother. So <laughs> I'm super embarrassed, and I'm like trying to, you know, hide my face. And I'm thinking to myself, you are a horrible grandson. <laughs> but I remember pulling on uh, ahead and looking at her driving that car in the rearview mirror and I remember saying to myself mama you drive as slow as you want to drive it's okay but what's interesting is what changed the way I felt about the driver before and after I knew who it was knowing who it was helped me see that driver as a person It's easier for us to give grace when we see people as people. But in today's world of hostility and offense, we are encouraged to demonize others. Whether someone is on the other side of the political aisle, or maybe they're from a different culture than us. Maybe they just parent differently than us. Or maybe they just happen to be driving really slow. If you want to live an efficient life, treat people as things. But if you want to live a fulfilling life, treat people as people. Be kind and helpful to one another, Ephesians says. Tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding. Forgiving one another readily and freely, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Number four, I want you to risk vulnerability. Refuse to hide. If you want to really live in community, take a risk on being vulnerable. For authentic community to happen, we have to allow ourselves to be seen and have the courage to be imperfect. After Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit in the garden, what did they do? They ran right to God and told him everything that they did. No, they didn't. They hid. They hid. 
And we've been hiding ever since. And that, that's how we approach relationships. We hide. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Hiding is what keeps us from intimacy, from relationships. It's from being seen and being known. And here's a hint. If you have a hard time asking for help, this one's for you. I'm in that category. Craig Rochelle said it like this, we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. And the last one is don't give up. Aim for reconciliation. The health of a community isn't found in how little they disagree, but instead in how they disagree. In a healthy community, we value the relationship over being right. It's not that we don't ever fight, it's just that when we argue, we aren't willing to break the relationship over it. It's tempting to walk away when there's conflict, change friend groups, find a new place to worship, move to a different neighborhood. But what might happen if we stick it out? If we grow through the tough times in community and still come out together? The question isn't if we will make each other mad. If we are in a relationship, the question is when. But we must set a high bar to end a relationship. I will admit not every relationship can be saved. I'm not naive, but... And as far as it is up to us, we should make every effort to foster a bond of peace, to pursue reconciliation, and to restore relationships. 1 John 4.12 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Ben, you can come on up. If you've been uh, around Gateway for any length of time, uh, you know that I don't speak very much. I don't opt to speak very much. And I actually volunteered to do this message today. I asked Charlie about it because um, this, this topic is a big deal. And it's close to my heart. I've been... Um, it's been my job now for 17 years to build community at different churches. And for the last eight years, I've had the privilege of building community here at Gateway. But I will tell you, the last eight have been different than all the others. Part of that is, is, is um, Gateway and, and, and uh, what God is doing here. But part of that is mine and my wife's intention that we decided to do community a little different this time, to do it with more determination. And that community has been life-giving, transformative, and amazing. And I just want that for every one of you. I want that community for every one of you. Today, there are groups that are represented in the great room. And I hope you'll take some time to look at those and see if there is a way that you can plug in. I want to tell you that groups are not the goal. Community is the goal. Groups are a great way to um, on-ramp you into community. Groups are a great way to grow in community. But the point is community. 
the point is to develop our relationship with Christ and develop our relationship with others. The last thing that I will leave you with is this. I can't do community for you. Might make my job easier, but I can't. So I hope that you will choose it. And I pray that if you do, I pray that wherever you step into community, I pray that you will show up there because your presence matters. I pray that you will be a friend and that you will pursue others good. I pray that you will give grace and see people as people. I pray that you will risk vulnerability, refuse to hide, and I pray that you will not give up and aim for reconciliation in every relationship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for being here. I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of your people in this place. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to take the next right step towards a life of community. I pray that you would use that community to grow us, to bless us, to bring life and fulfillment to us in ways that we've never experienced before that we would look back at our old lives and we would say, I don't know how we made it through without this. Lord, do that in us. In your name I pray, amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.